you know, realize the situation you're in sucks, but like accepting it, this sucks and this is how I feel, but like moving on from it and like focusing on what can I do to get better? What's the next step? Excellence is about standing and excellence is a requirement for your dream Welcome to Unfiltered Athletes. I'm your host, Leo. In this podcast, we go behind the scenes with world-class athletes to reveal the untold stories of their journeys. From grueling training sessions to mental strategies to achieve greatness, get ready for a raw, unfiltered look at the world of sports. In this episode, I talk to Sage Watson, a two-time Olympian and a 400-meter hurdles Canadian record holder. Known worldwide for the red lipstick she wears in competition, Sage is a dedicated and self-conscious athlete and a fighting individual with well-defined values, as her one-of-a-kind approach to sponsorship shows. Diagnosed with dyslexia early in her studies, she graduated university at the top of her class. She applied the same relentlessness to her sport career, overcoming various injuries up until today, as she was a week away from a hip surgery when we recorded the podcast. This episode will inspire you, so tune in and listen to Sage's amazing story, which started with a newspaper article. My mom was um, a police officer in our town of Medicine Hat, Alberta, and they competed in the torch relays um, all the way across southern Alberta. And so she was a part of the torch relays, and she was actually running um, in the relay on a long stretch of highway. And when I was four years old, my dad um, drove me to meet with her so I could run some of that stretch of highway with her. And um, I remember that, like, being so excited as a young kid getting to run with my mom because I really looked up to my mom who ran a lot. And um, it happened to be that the newspaper was there and they shot a photo of us and we made the newspaper uh, the next day. So it was really cool because I got to capture, you know, my first running moment and it was with my mom. And um, it was just really special. Even though I was only four, I can barely remember it, but I get to look back on it still to this day. Okay, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty rare uh, uh, answer to that first question. <laughs> uh, for me, most people, it's like, yeah, it's kind of blurry something when I was four, five, six. But in your case, you literally have a, a newspaper that you look can look at and, and actually remember or, or mm-hmm. see. It's very cool. So you weren't the, the first uh, runner in your family. Was that... Uh, something that was taught to you were you did you just uh, get into running because your your uh, your parents were my mom she just ran um to stay fit mostly because you know as a police officer you have to maintain a certain level of fitness um so she loved to run and she would just do a lot of long runs um but i wouldn't say she I mean she did some road races but she wasn't a track athlete Um, I did have some, you know, family members and my, I believe my great grandma was like really good at high jump. That was just like a fun thing. And then my great, great grandpa, um, he, I have a medal of his back from, um, you know, New England, um, uh, when he won a race there and it's like, like an ancient medal and it's like super small, but it's like made out of, um, real gold and stuff. So <laughs> that's really cool to have. Um, I don't know what race he ran. It doesn't say the race, but it just like is a running medal. Um, so I guess athletics has been a part of my family, but nobody really was big into track and field or anything like that. We are just a very active family and love to play sports. And I just happen to love to run track. Okay. So when, when did, uh, track become serious? So you had that first quote-unquote memory <laughs> that is now on the newspaper um but yeah what when did that become uh, serious or when did you uh, realize that you could make it more than running for fun um I think like everybody like everybody was almost forced to do track in school right <laughs> which is yep. kind of funny like everybody had to do it as a kid and I loved it as a kid but I think I got serious when I was about like 14 years old I made um, my provincial team with team Alberta And um, I got to race against um, all of Western Canada um, at our Western meet. And I ended up winning the 400. And I was like, wow, I guess I could actually be good at this and continue to do it. So I just continued to do it through high school. And then I realized I had the opportunity to make Team Canada as a youth athlete. And then I had the opportunity to get a scholarship for it. So that was a really big motivation of mine initially was you know, to get an athletic scholarship and to potentially represent Team Canada. And then the long-term goal, of course, was always the Olympics. But 
Um, I mean, every athlete, when they're young, they want to go to the Olympics. And mm -hmm. I happened to say I wanted to go to the Olympics when I was in grade three. So um, it was always like a long shot. But I think when I was like um, junior high, I was like, oh, I could actually do something with this and, you know, make something of it by getting a scholarship. Mm -hmm. So did you have any uh, athletes that were inspiring you uh, when you were that young to, uh, you know, to have that, that wish to get to the Olympics so early? Yeah, I think I loved watching Perdita Felician. Um, she was a, she's an amazing Canadian um, 100 hurdler. And um, I loved watching her. I watched her um, at the Olympic Games on TV when I was little. So I think any time I actually got to see like the Olympics or a female runner or even like someone who looked like me who was at the Olympic Games, I think I was like, oh, wow, like I could maybe do that one day, right? Like it all starts from being a young kid and your imagination and seeing somebody else do something you're like, Oh, maybe I could do that. They got started somehow. So I guess just running, you know, watching female Canadian runners. Okay, cool. So you've been manifesting quite early that, you know, that would happen and you would be that person uh, on the other side of the TV in a sense. Yeah, I think um, it was like a big dream, right? I don't know. It was just one of those things I didn't really, I didn't know if it would happen. It was just like this big dream I kind of just put out there. And okay. along the way, I learned how I could make it happen. Mm -hmm. And so because track became such a big part, I would say, of your life and probably your day-to-day -day, uh, quite early on, um, how, what type of uh, student was uh, Sage? I was an okay student. <laughs> I... I, well, I actually grew up, I was diagnosed with dyslexia okay. and, um, it was really hard for me because I thought I just wasn't smart, right? Like I, when you have something like that, you know, I was mixing up my numbers, I was mixing up my letters and I'm like, oh, am I dumb? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I was like, what's going on with me? And I got, got diagnosed with dyslexia. And then, um, I kind of, once I found that out, I was better able to like study and adjust to that. Um, but I was like, oh, I'm not that great of a student. And it wasn't till university, I was like, I'm not going to let this stop me from being a great student. And I really studied hard. And I actually ended up learning how I needed to learn because, you know, everyone learns differently. I found what I needed to do to study and learn. And I ended up graduating top of my class in university. So Sweet. I kind of did this like whole thing. I was, you know, very average, maybe in the low 80s, maybe 80s student in high school and junior high. And then, you know, graduating with a 3.9, you know, GPA, Jeez. I was like, oh, I, I could do it. So I'm not dumb. But I always grew up thinking I wasn't smart until I just realized how I needed to learn. So that's something I like to talk to about kids and athletics and getting into things. You just, you just don't put limits on yourself. Just find out how you can do it. Very cool. So do you, uh, are you able to follow the same curriculum as any other student uh, when you have this tech show? It's just, like you said, an, a different yeah. type learning on your end when you're at home? Yeah. So um, essentially like my dyslexia, like I can see a number and in my brain, it'll like reverse the letter. So when I go to repeat the number to someone else, this rarely happens. Now that I'm older, I understand what I need, to, like okay. what I'm doing. But when I was younger, I would just reverse the numbers. And people were like, how did you do that? Or um, my left and right, I would get left and right, like mixed up all the time. So it's very like simple things. But when you're writing a test and an exam, like those simple things, like mm -hmm. that can make you fail an exam, right? And so I just had to learn to be more patient with myself, like double check things. And I really had to teach myself like how I needed to study because it wasn't always the way the teacher or the professor taught it in class. I would have to take that material home and review it myself so I would memorize it in the correct way that my brain likes to memorize things. And once I figured that out and figured out how I needed to learn as a student and the mistakes I needed to watch out for, I was able to correct things easily. And um, I don't have any problems now, but I will every once in a while, I'll be giving directions to someone and I'll point right. And in my head, it's, it's right, but I'll be like, oh, it's left. Like okay. just silly things like that. But Right now, now I'm fine as long as I can recognize that. But is is the the, the right versus left uh, mistake uh, a comment or or a signal for this lecture? Because I know a lot of people that you know specifically left and right. It's a, it's a common mistake. But as you said, it, you were inverting numbers, inverting letters, and everything. Yeah, so pretty pretty I crazy. I invert a lot of stuff. Like when I was growing up, I don't do it anymore. I'd really mix up my B's and D's, like okay. something simple like that. Um, 
I would mix up like still to this day, if I read an address, um, I will like sometimes say the address wrong when I like go to repeat it later on. Like it'll be like, it's when you say it and also when you write it, uh, potentially. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. My brain likes to just flip things. I don't know else how else to describe it. And they don't call it right now. They don't call it dyslexia. That's called something else. Like they changed it. But when I was growing up, they called it dyslexia. Um, But yeah, it's pretty much my brain just likes to reverse things, which is kind of cool, but um, not really when you're trying to get get something correct. Yeah, and, and well, it, it might seem like a, a dumb question in my case, but has that ever impacted the way you ran? No, I don't think so. I think because um, your your discipline, which we'll come to later, so it's 400 meters uh, hurls. You have it's a some sort of a choreograph, you know, over 400 meters. Mm-hmm. Is, just not just like a, a sprint on 100 or 400 meters it's really you have a certain number of steps in between each hurdle and all that so i mean your, your brain needs to be processing that and uh yeah so that never really impacted you no because a lot of people this is it could impact me some people count their steps right like um 100 hurdle they'll go one two three hurdle one two three hurdle um for me i do like 15 steps over the hurdles but I don't count my 15 steps. It's more of a rhythm and a feel. Um, but there are athletes who do count. So maybe if I was counting my steps, that would be a problem. But um, I find like in athletics, I just feel things and I can watch somebody do something and I can like learn how to do it with my body. And that's how I really feel like I became a better athlete growing up is because I could watch somebody do something and I was able to like somehow mimic it or learn it um, more easily than sometimes other athletes would be able to do. I've just felt like I was a very coachable young athlete um, just because I had really good, I guess, body control and what I could do with my body. And essentially that's how, you know, I kind of got into things. So dyslexia has never really impacted uh, running or track and field. If somebody's giving me directions to the track, I could definitely <laughs> mess those up. <laughs> okay. So you should try maybe once the, the hundred hurdles and see if it, the one, two, three, one, two, three has, a, has an impact. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so the 400 uh, hurdles is not the most um, broadcasted, mediatized, I don't know, the, the word. It's not the the discipline that we know the most uh, on track and field. So what brought you to that? Do you have a, a specific uh, interest for that? Or were, were, was just your body uh, best fitted for that, um, that discipline? Um, I really loved running the 400. And um, I had a coach when I was in... in junior high, high school, right, going into that area, um, who was like, I think you could be a good 400 hurdler. Like, and he was like, I think you could make the Olympics in the 400 hurdles. And I had always like thought that the hurdles looked interesting. And I always liked the fact that you not only have to be fast, you have to have like technical skill as well. Mm-hmm. And um, I love that a race could change. Like somebody can be way in the lead and all it takes is for them to just hit a hurdle and then boom, like another person wins. And so I just love the aspect of like running fast and having obstacles in the way. And somebody like, that's crazy. That sounds weird. But I just found it more fun. Like I had a lot of fun um, training for the hurdles. I had more fun racing the hurdles than I did the 400. And um, I guess when you, when you truly enjoy what you're doing, you want to practice it more and become Mm -hmm. like better at it. So that's kind of how I fell upon the 400 hurdles. Cool. Cool. So yeah, uh, going back on, on what you, you mentioned, you uh, ended up graduating university with 3.9 GPA. So I'm saying it again because it's it's quite impressive. So I just want to um, <laughs> say that once more. Um, yeah, so you, you went to, um, where did you go for, for uh, university in the US? So I originally went to Florida State University okay. um, and I was there for three years. And then I transferred to the University of Arizona and I finished out my degree um, there for my last two years. So I graduated from University of Arizona in 2017. Okay. And did you transfer for uh, track? Yes, I did actually. I transferred... Um, I was really looking for like a more specific 400 hurdle coach because I, I transferred in 2015 and I knew the Olympics were in 2016 and I really wanted someone who could take me to the Olympic games. Um, but I also wanted a school that had like a great business program and a place I would love to, you know, not only like study, but do track and field. And that's when I came across the university of Arizona. 
Um, and my coach there at the time was Fred Harvey. And um, I made the transition and it was it was great. And I was able to make the Olympics in 2016, you know, based on the training there and able to finish out my degree there. So it was a good it was a good switch. But transferring universities can definitely be tricky. Sweet. And so did you turn pro when you finished um, university or does that happen? Can that happen before uh, graduating? Yeah. Um, so when I was still competing, um, you had to, you know, the NCAA role, rules have totally changed now because mm -hmm. you can get sponsored while you're in school. Yeah. But when I was in school, um, I turned pro like right after. Um, so I signed my contract like with an agent that summer. Um, I signed a contract, you know, with a sponsor that summer. Um, so I turned pro immediately after graduating university in 2017. And what exactly, like, in the fact, makes you a pro? Is that the fact that you sign with um, with a, an agent, or that you can that when you have your first sponsor or like endorsement deal, that you can call yourself a pro? What exactly does that does that in, does that take? That's tricky in the track and field world, right? Because um, there are amazing athletes who get paid to race but don't necessarily have sponsors. But I feel, in my opinion, turning pro in track and field is when you get paid to compete, essentially. I think you're a pro athlete when you get you get paid to go to races. Um, you get paid for, you know, big wins. And um, definitely you're represented by an agent. It can make you a pro athlete. But There's, um, yeah, this, it, it just varies, right? It's not like um, basketball or baseball or football, like those sports. It's very individual sports. So um, it can be the lines of being pro and amateur are kind of blurred in our sport. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um, so yeah, you make it to the Olympics 2016, quite almost right after you leave university. You said, you said it at the beginning and you said it a couple of times that the Olympics are... I mean, is the silver lining or is the pinnacle of what you can do as a track and field athlete? Um, mm -hmm. Is that how you felt the moment you were there or was it another stepping stone to the next Olympics and you know getting, getting results there and stuff like that? It was definitely surreal being at my first Olympics. Um, it's, you know, it did feel like a dream come true, um, being able to represent my country like at the kind of the highest level. Um, But I was still had another year of university after the Olympics. So it just like motivated me that much more to want to become a pro athlete and that the Olympics like weren't the end all and I could make another Olympics and I could make world championships and so on. So it was kind of um, it was a dream come true. But at the same time, it was like a taste into what I could do as a professional athlete. Mm -hmm. And so once I've heard it a couple of times and just wanted to ask you if it's true and if that's something you felt that. At the elite level, you you're driven by competition and adrenaline, and and always getting that you know, split second um, extra on the, on the race. Um, but everything builds up to that four year um, objective, which are the Olympics. And then right after, it's kind of a down, and your body, your mental, kind of uh, you know doesn't have that that traction anymore. Is that something that you actually feel uh, right after the Olympics, and then getting back into training and into you know Per, um, being part of other like lower level competition in a sense yeah I definitely think there's like you feel you do come down because the year after I made my first Olympics I didn't get nervous for races anymore because I like went to the top most nerve-wracking race I could possibly go yeah. at um, so I would say after my first Olympics it more like inspired me and I was more confident and um, I just kind of you know, came off of it with ease. These last Olympics, you know, the COVID Olympics, everyone calls them in, in 2021. Um, I went into those Olympics injured and I came out like feeling injured. So, and I didn't meet my expectations at that Olympics. And so I just came, I definitely felt the low after that, those games, I felt like almost a relief. It was over because It was so hard, everything we had to do at those Olympics with COVID protocols, with training to get there. Like, you, It was just a very difficult couple of years um, to be a pro athlete in 2020 and 2021. So I definitely knew a lot of athletes who came off of the 2021 Olympic Games and they just felt like exhausted because um, it was a lot, not only going through a pandemic and all the changes, but then like still trying to travel the world at the same time and go to these competitions and all the protocols and things we had to do at the game. So I was exhausted, I could say, after the 2021 Olympic Games. That's how I felt for sure. Interesting. And I've read that I think you had an 
undiagnosed uh, injury or mm -hmm. right or right after um, that, in a sense, forced you to take uh, time off right after. Um, is that the case? And yeah, how is that a tough decision when you can run? You know, you're not at your 100%, maybe you're 97% to decide between I should keep pushing at 97% and get back there or I should take a step back and, and take whatever four or X month off in order to get back to the 100, 102%. Yeah, I went into the Olympic Games and I pulled um, a muscle in my back. I pulled the QL muscle in my back. And it was weird because I was having hip problems before while I was trying to get ready for the Olympics. And then I pulled a muscle and I was in extreme pain like the month before going to the Olympics and just felt like I couldn't really practice the way I wanted, race the way I wanted. Like everything kind of felt messed up going to the games and the games just didn't end up how I wanted them to end up because I wasn't able, like I gave it my absolute all, but it just wasn't there because it was the things I had to go through. And then the year after the Olympics, you know, I took time off. I was trying to come back. I could still feel there was like a problem in my back and hip and stuff and something felt off. Um, and I saw lots of doctors. I got x-rays, MRIs, um, CT scans, like blood. I did, I did everything you could almost do. And, um, they were just like, Oh, it seems like you just have a lot of inflammation. We don't know what's going on. Um, so I took last season off. Um, and I missed the world championships in Oregon, which I was so looking forward to going to. Um, and I thought, you know, all I needed was some time off. I had been competing nonstop since 2014, um, at the world stage, you know, going to worlds Olympics and, all the collegiate races. So maybe my body just needed a break. And then I came back this year, you know, ready to give it my all, but still having hip problems and back problems. I did more um, imaging. I saw more doctors. And then I finally saw a doctor who did um, some ultrasound work and they found I had 11 tears um, throughout my whole hip complex in my tendons and muscles. So I like tore my um, abdominal muscles. I tore my, um, my rectus femoris muscle. I, I tore my adductor, my glute, my hip, like everything was kind of torn. And so I ended up getting 15 rounds of PRP injections to heal those tears. Um, but it was really mysterious because there's still like, there's no reason, like no athlete like tears this many spots, you know, like mm -hmm. this doesn't happen. Um, so I recovered from the PRP. I got back into training And something still felt really off. And um, my coach and my fiance, uh, he he was he's in chiropractic school, and he was stretching me um, about a month ago. And he looks at me, he's like, Sage, I just I think your labrum's torn. And if anybody's listening, or the labrum is essentially like the cartilage and a tissue that connects like your pelvis to your femur, so it's okay. like in that socket and it holds it. And um, Essentially, if that's like torn, you don't have the control like over your femur bone and your hip and everything. And so I decided to go ask a doctor like if that's possible and had to get an MR arthrogram, which is a dye injection into the hip. And they inject the dye right there into the hip joint, into the labrum. And then they do an MRI because that actually shows clearly if the labrum's torn. And they found that my labrum has been torn and we're guessing it's been torn since the last Olympics. So for the past two years, because I've had so much hip pain since then. And, um, it was, it was kind of, it was really hard at first to take in because I really felt like let down by all the doctors before me that like nobody could find this. And I felt that, you know, I have had now two seasons of my career taken away from me because of this injury. And, um, it definitely hasn't been easy, but, um, since like talking about it and posting about it, it's crazy. The amount of like other track athletes and track athletes or other track athletes and other athletes in general who also have labrum tears and they're just really hard to diagnose. And so it's a very common injury like within athletics that ends up causing lots of problems. And like you said, not being able to run at your hundred percent. So I felt like I was running 75, maybe 80%. And I was running some races last year and I was like, I don't feel like myself at all. I'm in extreme pain. I was getting swelling in my abdomen and all down my leg after I would compete. I was like, something is wrong. So to now have that diagnosis feels sad, but also like the hugest relief, relief ever. Yeah. yeah, it just feels like a huge relief and um, good to finally have answers. So 
now I'm going into surgery next week and getting get it repaired and then hopefully get recovered and ready in time for the next Olympic Games, which are next summer in Paris. Yeah. So is it draining or, or exhausting mentally, though? Because these are the famous highs and lows. The highs are getting to mm -hmm. the Olympic. And if it's not the perfect result, it's still, you know, no one can take away from you that you're an Olympian. But all the lows and, and that injury that has been dragging for two years. So now you have um, the injury coming up and then the recovery uh, and still that one and a half year time frame to, to recover and get back to the highest level. So mentally speaking, how do you cope with that in a sense? And, and what keeps you highly motivated when you know you won't be able to run or at least run at your best level for so long and so long could be, you know, a month or, or six months. Mm -hmm. I think it's, it's, it's really part of athletics. Like if you look at, you know, any like great athlete, like every great athletes had either a serious injury or surgery. It's like very common in the world of athletics. And it's just being able to, you know, realize the situation you're in sucks, but like accepting it, you know, this is, this sucks and this is how I feel, but like moving on from it and like focusing on what can I do to get better? What's the next step? And I feel like when you allow yourself to be in the place you're at, but then realize I got to get out of this and move forward, that's essentially how that's been for me. And I've used, you know, my family, my friends, um, taking time to do like things I love outside of track and field um, to really keep me motivated and inspired. And then of course, like cheering on, my friends and teammates, you know, this summer too. Um, it just keeps the motivation there for me for next year when I'm back competing. So um, I would say, yeah, it's definitely being able to accept the injury, understanding it, but like moving on and looking forward to the future. Mm -hmm. You mentioned motivation as a, as a driver uh, to, stay, uh, to stay aligned with your objective, but isn't it even more like dedication? Dedica motivation seems more like a, now type of mm -hmm. feeling motivated to do something but what you really feel is like dedication to your sport to getting to the olympics and that's the lasting feeling in a sense i, I believe that that helps you uh in those those moments right yeah i mean it's dedication and perseverance i think those are two big things it's being able to persevere we all persevere on a day-to-day -day, like whether that's i don't want to do my workout today but i'm persevering through that feeling of not wanting to do it and just doing it you know mm -hmm. and it's the dedication to showing up at the gym at the track or whatever it is that you need to show up at so i think it's like those two come hand in hand and then the motivation is day to day or the motivation is you know having a friend tell you something inspiring or the motivation is you know reading a quote or or watching something and and those only last like a few a few yeah a few moments right yep. and it's that like you said that dedication and then i would also say like the perseverance that keeps you going to the next level very interesting and um i believe you said during the, the covid time you didn't say here but in other interviews that i've been uh, able to hear that during the covid time you well there were so many uh, so many competitions that were canceled and you had kind of time to think about yourself and all that and that kind of your perspective changed in why you were running in a sense mm -hmm. that you, uh, you you managed to find a way to to see the personal and, and what you were really as a person and as an athlete more than what you should do as you know the the society I would say will, will tell you so yeah can you tell a bit more about this yeah I think um, it's really easy to get like caught up in the professional world of athletics it's easy to get caught up in, in any little world that we're in right whether like you're a podcaster and you, all you do day to day is listening to podcasts and like creating podcasts or you know or you're in a business and all you do it's like being able to like take a step back and seeing like that's a part of me like what is the whole me And I think that's what COVID really allowed me to do. It, it, it took me a step back from the track and I was able, I went home with my family and I helped my family out on our family ranch. And, you know, I just fell in love again with, you know, ranching and being around the farm animals and being more connected to my family. Because when I was in this pro world, like I was traveling nonstop and going places and doing all this stuff and doing sponsorship stuff. And I just caught up. I got caught up with like the fakeness of things, I would call it. Um, not saying like, 
it's easy to get caught up with the fakeness of things, right? When you're like traveling and doing sponsorship stuff and like social media, it's, it's not like a real world to live in. Right. And so I just took a step back and I was like, who am I outside of track and field? Like take away track and field, like take away the sponsorships, take away like social media, like all of that. Like who am I as a person and do I like that person? Right. And how do I want to be seen like outside of track and not only as a track athlete, like what makes me more. And I think COVID allowed me to do that. And I really think it helps a lot of other athletes do that because in everyone, we just had to take a step back from life and the day-to-day hustle and busyness and just reflect on what was really important to us all. And so when you uh, kind of find yourself in, in a sense, it, can that take you away from those objectives? Because at the end, you realize that running for you know a victory or an individual sport in a sense, because you do relay, yes, in a sense, which is a team sport, but mostly what you do is is run for yourself. So mm-hmm. that time away from the track, did it spark more interest in the sport because you had that distance from it? And once you were on the track, you were just doing that and outside of it kind of relaxed because you went out of the fakeness of other stuff, like you said, or did it, did it give you, yeah, of course, another perspective, but it, it seemed, I would say, less important or all those things of life. <laughs> no, yeah, you're right. It Track is less important to me now. I'm just going to say it. Like, I love track and field. Like, I really love it. But it's less important because it's not my whole world anymore. Um, and I've kind of removed myself from it. And I think that um, a lot of athletes can get caught up in their sport, it being their whole world. And then when you have to retire, you feel like you're like, what do I have? Or like, what do I have to like live for? Like the thing in the thing in person, I thought who I am, I'm no longer in that thing in person. Right. And that's like taken away. So I kind of realized, had this like realization, like track and field is not going to last forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I can still be a part of the sport in some way, but I'm not going to be like stage, you know, the professional athlete runner forever. Right. That's going to be gone at some point. And so it just made, when I realized that track and field became less important, not that I don't think it's important. It just wasn't my whole world anymore, if that makes sense. And it's a job. Yeah, it's a job. job. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And do you think also having that relief or less pressure could just make you a better athlete? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I think I've learned like not to get too high and too low now, you Mm -hmm. know, when things happen, Um, especially going through all these injuries, you know, for the past year, like all my tears and finding, finally figuring things out, I was just able to, it did suck and I was upset, but I didn't ever feel like I got too low because I feel like I still have so much more in my life to live for. And there's so much more about me, um, that I enjoy other than just me being a runner. So, um, it made, it's made things a lot easier, I would say so far in my career. And is that also what sparked your, your, change in the approach you have with sponsors because i think i don't know if it's now or if it's in the upcoming year that you have a program called running for red i think yeah um, yeah which is well if you want to explain it i think take moving away from like endorsement deals and sponsors and getting money for showing up with a pair of shoe or a t-shirt or a brand and taking like a very different and unconventional approach yeah so last year i decided when i was running instead of running you know with a sponsorship on my shirt that i was going to be like more focused on like what I could give back as a runner. Um, and, you know, I was able to like sell some of my Olympic stuff and put that towards um, what I started in Mesnat called Brews for Shoes, where um, I donate shoes t- to um, kids for who need them for sports specific. So um, a kid who needs basketball shoes, volleyball shoes, track shoes. Um, and then I also worked with my local YMCA, you know, and YMCA is an ambassador um, for the kids program. So um, just trying to give back, I guess, was my big thing last year. And I've, I mean, I'm still doing it this year. And it kind of sparked me into creating my business. I just started um, back in March, which is Sage Watson Wellness. And it's pretty much like how I can like help people with the knowledge I've learned um, from being an Olympian, from being a professional track athlete. And then also I'm a certified personal trainer and a nutrition coach. So just taking like everything I've learned and being able to give that back to people essentially. And I've just found it so rewarding. Um, Like I said, like I got really caught up in all the sponsorship stuff and doing all that. And then one day I just realized I was like, Oh, 
I'm getting kind of sick of this. You know, it was fun while yeah. it lasted, but I don't really want to be an influencer. <laughs> that's yeah. not that's not who I was made to be. Yeah. So that's very inspiring and I res highly respect that. And I'm going to be the devil's advocate asking, and if, if you don't want to answer that, just feel free to say pass. But like you said, sport is a business and you run mm -hmm. as a pro and that's your job. And that's probably, you know, what helps you uh, pay the bills and all that. Mm -hmm. So yeah, was this a tough decision or, or is it because you started another business on the side that you can afford to do that, not getting sponsorship and uh, endorsement deals? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely, well, when I was injured, I knew that I was going to lose sponsorships and I did lose sponsorships and that's part of the sport. Um, but I was, I think I was pursuing, I was not pursuing sponsorships as much anymore too. Um, and I was just like, I just want to be able to do something else. Like mm -hmm. I wanted to earn income in a way that I felt more rewarding than just posting a product if that makes sense. Yep, and totally. I wanted to feel like I was giving a service to other people rather than just selling something. Um, I never really wanted to be like a salesperson, although I mm -hmm. do promote products like I really believe in and, and use as an athlete. I do still, you know, have a few things, but everything like I have promoted or show on my social media, like I really believe in, and I actually like use that, you know, I've got offers to promote fit tea and certain supplement bars and certain clothing items. Then I was just like, I don't use those. Like, I don't believe in that. Like fit tea does not make me an Olympian. Like I would be lying <laughs> if I said like, drink this fit tea and you'll be like fit like me. Like that's a lie. And so I've just never wanted to get into that kind of stuff. And Um, so yeah, I have really moved away from sponsorship stuff and yeah, that has like hurt me like financially because I was making a lot of money, um, off of sponsorship stuff, but it's felt better to be honest, like to not mm -hmm. have to promote so much stuff and sell stuff. I feel like right now I'm promoting me and I'm promoting like my services and like what I can give back to other people versus just like selling my image. Mm -hmm. that's yeah that's very uh very interesting so one of the things that i've also seen and i, I think you promote is canada beef so i want to mm -hmm. talk about that because it's the first time that i read so i typed in your name did a few different research and was like say what's on canada beef I'm like what so i clicked and i see that <laughs> i think because your your family is uh has a ranch so it's probably you have a special link to a uh, um like animals <laughs> yeah very uh, very wide I really, so um, my partnership with Canada Beef has been honestly like my favorite sponsorship and partnership I've done because um, growing up on a cattle ranch, um, like the way we took care of and the way things like worked on my ranch, like I just found it at the time I didn't appreciate it. Like growing up, you never appreciate what you have until it's gone. And yeah. so I essentially never really appreciated everything I did on the ranch and learned on the ranch until I got away from it. And then I really just wanted through Canada Beef to promote, you know, sustainability, to promote healthy eating um, and just show that we have local farmers and ranchers in Canada that we should be supporting, you know. And I think it's just something that's really meant a lot to me because I grew up with, you know, Canada Beef and on my ranch and stuff. And now I get to show that to others. And I feel like I've got to share like Our, our cows in the summertime, they graze in the Canadian Provincial Park. And they do that because we are trying to keep the grass down there to prevent fires. You know what I mean? There's like a sustainable aspect to it. And um, I feel like it's not really shown because farmers don't get the attention they truly deserve for like feeding, feeding all of us, you know, especially everyone who lives in the cities and stuff. We don't really know what goes on. And so it's just been really amazing to um, show that other side of it, um, you know, show how we care and raise our animals, um, show what the grazing patterns look like, and just supporting um, an organization that I essentially feel really passionate about and um, promoting healthy eating too and showing recipes and cooking. And that's been a huge passion of mine is sharing recipes and cooking. So that's been a lot of fun to do online as well. That's that's very cool. And uh, do you think in, in the approach you have, are you a, a one of a kind in the, the athletic world? Or do you think that's becoming more and more real, the fact to move away from pure sponsorship 
moving into more like partnership on stuff that you believe in, even if it means, you know, less money coming in. Yeah, I think that's, I think people are so tired of influencers and the influential things. I think that was like fine at one point, right? We're like, oh, they sold this, they must use it. And now everybody like realizes it's not real, right? Like it kind of the influencer and athletic and actors and everything, like we realize like, oh, they're getting paid like a lot of money to just tell us they use this product. And so it's gone towards now and I, I've seen the changes athletes embracing, you know, what they truly believe in and what they truly use. And mm -hmm. um, I mean, you see it with like athletes who have diabetes, like they're promoting like the diabetes, um, like the patch on them that yep. shows their like sugar levels. That's a legit thing. And like, how cool is it that you get to see like an athlete who uses this device on a day to day basis? And you're somebody who's like looking for a, a device like that. And you get to see someone who like truly uses it and it, and it changes their life and like essentially helps them. Like, we're looking for like, realness right like things like that are real and i found like my sponsorship with canada beef like that's real you can go and look up i grew up on a ranch you know like i i that was a part of me it's not just something i found and want to promote it's like a part of my life and so i think when we people are just can tell what's real and what's fake now especially on social media so yeah, i think that people are getting sick of it yeah very true because so when i read that uh, that you had a, a partnership slash sponsorship with canada beef then i read a bit more and I was like oh you grew up on ranch and this and that mm -hmm. so it makes sense it, it goes back to you know way before you started being an athlete but yeah when someone says you know what I drink that milk and it makes me the person I'm like yeah I'm not sure you even drink milk <laughs> on a regular <laughs> basis but yeah it's I think it's more powerful though, those like more quality over quantity in terms of sponsorship mm -hmm. and showing stuff that really relate to much before you started that uh, that sponsorship so yeah interesting that you are kind of leaning the pack in this because i think it's the if not the first time one of the first times that i've um, seen and heard someone uh, yeah with with such approach so very uh, very interesting thanks um, cool and yeah you mentioned at some point uh the athletic career will end at some point you're still young younger than me so you have a at least one, maybe two Olympics, hopefully for you. But uh, yeah, are you, are you already planning uh, what's next? You seem to be a person that is planning what's next. Yeah, I'm definitely planning on, you know, getting surgery next week and getting recovered and going after my third Olympic Games in Paris in 2024. Like that's definitely what I'm planning towards. And then, you know, based on like how that goes and how I feel, um, hopefully the world championships in Japan um, the following year. But I think right now I'm taking it just year by year and step by step because I really feel like I've had to with this injury because when I get too excited or plan too far ahead the past two years, my plans have been like failing, right? Because I have this injury and I, it was just not diagnosed and so things would happen. So right now my goal is to just take it like year by year and step by step uh, with when it comes to competing in track and field and just focusing on what I can do like each day versus mm -hmm. um, the long term. But yeah, definitely aiming for the Olympics and the world championships in these next few years. Sweet. And what after your career, once you uh, put the shoes back in the in the drawer, uh, <laughs> career, business, things, anything in mind? You, you mentioned Sage uh, um, Wellness, I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I think um, sticking with that, you know, like I, that's also like why I decided to start that while I was still in my pro career. So that like when I'm done, like I already have something built and um, I've absolutely had the time of my life coaching athletes, um, coaching people, you know, mm -hmm. um, just people who are just looking to just kind of stay fit versus people like I have young athletes who are looking to make the state championships, you know? So I found that super rewarding and I'm really looking forward to continuing to do that after my career and seeing where that leads. Um, I don't have a for sure set thing that might, that might take me somewhere else, but as of right now, I just really enjoy helping others when it comes to um, overall wellness, I would say more so than just like fitness or nutrition, just feeling better and feeling more connected. And that's what I really wanted to do with my business is it be a one-on-one. -on -one. Like I talk to my clients daily, every day, And I took that because that's what I use as, you know, I've used as an athlete. I talk to my coach daily, right? And so I just wanted to give people that where they can have a coach and talk to them daily versus just 
doing these programs and feeling disconnected because I really feel like not more now than ever, like as a society, like we need to feel more connected. And that's what I really tried to do with my business. And I continue, hopefully continue to do, you know, after my career is just stay connected to others and helping them with their wellness, fitness and nutrition goals. Perfect. Yes, that's, I don't, I think that's a, a topic that will definitely keep living even after, uh, after your career. Um, cool. So one, Off topic question completely is just a note that I took and I have to ask. Uh, you're known with your to have red lipstick when mm -hmm. you uh, when you run. Where's that coming from? Um, the red lipstick that came that came a long time ago. Um, I would say that came in around 2016, actually. Um, I just wanted to feel like I had more confidence on the track and I wanted to kind of support red, like ca Canadian red. And so I started wearing red lipstick and I realized like I loved it and it did give me like this confidence boost when I was like getting ready for my race, putting on my red lipstick. Um, it was kind of like my warrior paint. And then it, when I wore it at the Olympics in 2016, like everybody loved it and my family <laughs> members were putting on red lipstick and cheering for me at the Olympics. So it just kind of stuck and it was something I just, I continued doing and um, it, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. That's a nice story. Mm -hmm. um, if you had, if you could go back 18 years and meet the 10-year-old uh, Sage, if you could give her some uh, advice, what would you tell her? Um, I would just, I would just would tell her to keep believing in herself and to, to keep going after things, even when people say, don't, you know, it's not real or it won't happen. And, Um, I had kids in grade three make fun of me for saying I wanted to go to the Olympics and laughing at me. And I would just reassure her that, you know, that's a realistic dream and you, you can do it and don't be afraid to keep dreaming big. Sweet. Um, now, if you, if you were to write a book about yourself, your autobiography, what title would you give to that book? Oh my gosh. Um... <laughs> The rare times that I ask this question, it's like, oh, wow. Ah, <laughs> uh, I don't know. It would have to do, it'd, it'd be something with perseverance. It, the, the perseverance would be in the title. I don't know how it would be, but perseverance uh, would be in there. I, I was expecting anything like dedication, so not surprised, but it seems to make a, make a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, where should I, I our listeners and, and followers follow you um you, you're active on, on instagram i think um yeah for your wellness brand in a sense yeah i'm on instagram just sage watson on instagram and then i'm on tiktok too um sage watson seven oh, wow. on tiktok and um i i stopped doing twitter um years and years ago just because i find more joy in posting videos and photos and telling the story through that but um i'm also on facebook too Um, I have a Facebook page. So yeah, you can follow me on those those three things. All right. So I'll put the, the links into the, the notes of the, the episode. Um, two things that I always ask at the, the end. Um, one is if you have, uh, if you had one person that you would like to see on the podcast, a Canadian athlete, um, who would that person be? Um, I'd have to pick my teammate, Maddie Price. Um, she is on, was on the the women's four by four team with me, um, at the Olympic Games. She's a phenomenal athlete, has a phenomenal story. Um, lots of per perseverance there. Um, she's just a great friend, um, a great role model and a great person. So she'd be great to have on the podcast. Nice. So if you're able to do the intro, that will be wonderful. Yes. Um, and the very, the very last one. So now it's, it's known. I've said it quite a few times. I'm building what I rebranded, uh, a museum of sports of Canadian sport in my cottage up north uh, is there any uh, piece of gear from uh, past race uh, from a past race that you uh, could sign and, and send over if I of course send you like a pre-labeled whatever envelope or something yeah of course I'd love to send you like a bib a bib for one of my big races whether that's like a world championships or olympics I would love to send you one sweet maybe at some point if the museum becomes uh big enough i could do some anything like you did you know you sold some of your olympic stuff and mm -hmm. and, and got the the proceeds for for association stuff maybe uh if it becomes big enough i'll do something around sports and whoever wants to go there will pay and the money will go to any sport association i just uh, thought of it yeah. when you mentioned selling olympic stuff like oh 
why not? If it becomes uh, legit enough, uh, I'll make something out of it. Yeah, awesome. it's, a, it's a great thing. Um, yeah, and I also just want to give um, a big shout out. When you said that, this came to mind. Um, can can fund um, Canada. They, um, I'm sure you've heard of them. Yep. They support Canadian athletes, and um, they have essentially. If there's anyone out there listening and wants to, you know, give back to Canadian athletes, um, Can Fund is is an amazing um, group. They um, they actually sponsored me this past year. Um, they sponsor many many athletes, all different sports. Um, so a huge shout out to them and. Um, if anybody does want to donate Olympic gear, give it give it to Can Fund, um, the proceeds to Can Fund because they're continuing to support Canadian athletes. So, so Can Fund is a government body in a sense, but that is funded by individuals. No, that's they're not associated with the Canadian government. Okay, um, okay, okay. That they're separate of that. Um, but yeah, they just. Um, support Canadian athletes and um, this year they celebrated the 20th anniversary so um, they gave 20 athletes um, $8,000 sponsorships for the year and um, they continue to support um, Canadian female athletes they have a can fund for um, women and then just their regular can fund so they give back to athletes and I know it's changed some athletes lives and really helped you know keep them moving towards their goals uh, their Olympic dreams and um, just you know, supporting Canadian athletes, which is a, which is a big thing that we need to continue to do in our yep. country. It's amazing, especially for, you know, as you, as we said before, less, uh, well, not less professional sport, but more sport where people, you know, might struggle to make ends meet. Yeah. Uh, we need those funding to have those amazing athletes uh, at the Olympics because they help in the, at the end, they help the country being seen uh, across the world so exactly it, it pays back probably uh, tenfold it does yeah for sure yeah. awesome thank you so much uh, sage we wish you well a good surgery good recovery thank getting you. to paris getting the best results and anything more we can wish you no thank you very much i appreciate your great questions and <laughs> um all the insights and um i look forward to you know interacting with any listeners who want to ask me more questions or are interested in um, my business or anything else I do. So just thank you for giving me this platform. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Sage. We'll see you uh, on TV soon enough. <laughs> Sounds good. Bye. Bye. If you're still here, it's probably because you liked the episode, right? So if you want the podcast to grow and get more exceptional athletes, you can play your part by following us on your favorite podcast platform and on Instagram at unfiltered.athletes. It really helps us. And until next time, enjoy life.